Доброго вечора, ми з України. Hello. We are Ukraine FM team Radio National Resistance. We bring you interview subjects from all walks of life in wartime in Ukraine. Thanks to all our listeners around the world. Here is our collaborator and your host and Livin. You are listening Ukraine 242. Welcome to Ukraine 242. It is 146 days since Russia began its unprovoked destruction of Ukraine. On the 24th of February of this year, the life of every Ukrainian was permanently scarred. For all of us, it was the onset of life in a changed world. I'm Ann Levine, reporting for Pacifica Network from WOMR and Kraina FM. Today we will hear from Dr. Mark Alain Derry about the physical trauma of war. He is in Ukraine working with the Swiss Foundation. Dr. Derry is an infectious diseases doctor focusing on impacts of poverty on health. He is founder of WHIVFM, Human Rights and Social Justice Radio. He is also the co-host of the podcast Noise Filter Show. In our second segment, Dr. Mila Yalovaya will talk to us about treatment and care of the psychological trauma from the war. And now, Dr. Mark Alain Derry. Mark Alain, could you tell me about your history in medicine? Prior to being an infectious disease specialist, I was a trauma doctor for 10 years. Oh. I worked in emergency rooms And I worked in the back of a helicopter for 10 years, providing trauma care for people who've been critically injured. So Christian Vogeli, who runs emergency transport nonprofit in the Balkans, called me when the war broke out and asked me to come and join him and manage the operations and expand the operations. And the name of your organization? Is the Swiss Foundation for Innovation. And that's been around for some time. Correct? Great. It's an organization that's been working in the Balkans for about 25 years, again, providing critical care disaster management, responding to disasters, mostly in the Balkans and Eastern Europe. I was fortunate to meet Christian Vogeli, the CEO and founder, about four or five years ago when I went to Albania to give lectures on trauma, and we struck up a, a, a friendship. And when the war broke out, uh, I knew Christian was going to end up here, to which he did. He moved his operations here and has been operating out of mostly Western Ukraine with operations out of Lviv and Kyiv as well. I've been helping him provide critical care transports for people who've been critically injured, as well as initiate a sophisticated education program for healthcare workers, for fire and police. And then lastly, get supplies because they are running out of supplies on the front line. And so uh, we've been provided a list of supplies. Are you getting that list from the Ministry of Defense, Ministry of Health? We have been cooperating with marching orders from the Ministry of Health. The Minister of Health asked us to get supplies for them, largely due to the fact that the Swiss Foundation for Innovation has been in the Balkans for again for like 25 years. Christian has an excellent reputation. Um, we don't charge anything for any transports. We don't charge for any of the educations. Everything that we're doing is free of charge. Are you seeing patients? 
Some patients in the form of transports, and when we're not doing transports, we're teaching. In the Balkans and Eastern Europe, the fire and police are not taught EMS, and fire and police have had to deal with civilian casualties and have been dealing with civilian injuries that they've not had to deal with in the past. So they've been very receptive to basic life support training. And then when we're not doing that, we're planning for a very extensive education program that we are collaborating with University of New Mexico and other various universities to provide trauma doctors to teach generalists, to teach physicians, medical students, nurses, and nursing students the care for trauma that would occur in a civilian situation uh, when they have low resources available. Because fighting is not necessarily relegated to the east and, and the southern part of the country. Civilian targeting can happen of buildings, of apartment buildings, of uh, homes, of malls, of schools. And so there's definitely a need for education to teach physicians and nurses who otherwise don't really do trauma because that's not what they do. Now, one thing's very clear, the traumatologists in Ukraine are excellent. They have excellent medical care here, except that the traumatologists are just busy being trauma doctors. Right. The, the time for them to teach right now is not there. And so this is why we found ourselves in a situation where we'd be able to provide these educational services in a way that's really needed right now. What does trauma encompass? That's an excellent question because trauma encompasses a lot of different things. And what we're doing in terms of creating a curriculum is specifically looking at what happens if somebody is shot if somebody is the victim of a missile attack, if somebody has a crush injury as a result of being in a building that collapses, somebody who experiences any sort of burn, and we're specifically looking at special populations like pediatrics and pregnancy, what to do if somebody does have a ballistic injury. What's the process of treating the trauma patient? So as soon as you asked me that, my brain went right to the A, B, C, D, and E's. A, airway, right? Mm -hmm. If it's a penetrating wound, it's nowhere near an airway, we can assume the airway is intact. B is control the bleeding. And then C is cardiovascular. So those are sometimes intertwined. And so if you have a penetrating wound, you likely have bleeding involved. So what you want to make sure is that any sort of bleeding is controlled or that you control the bleeding as much as possible. Trying to apply pressure, trying to control that bleeding is incredibly difficult. And then D, disability, is making sure that there's nothing else that could potentially be causing some of the symptoms that we may be seeing. So these are difficult things to do out in the street. But if we do nothing, the chance of survival is minimal. By applying some basic knowledge and being able to at least do some management before somebody gets to a hospital increases the chance of survival significantly. Do you do anything with psychological trauma of war? Yes. One of our team members is a PhD in psychology and has been establishing programming here. We are trying to establish trauma-informed care. We did see a need for initiating a trauma case management program. These are things that aren't necessarily taught to physicians and nurses. And so there's this need to teach physicians on how to deal with some of these civilian injuries that can occur because, again, the whole country is really under war condition. 
you know, one of the things that we're recognizing is that there does seem to be a need for this type of basic knowledge and basic life support training, being able to at least do some trauma medicine dealing with civilian injuries, because I think we all see that there is going to be a need for something like this moving forward in the future in terms of what happens with climate change and we have mass migrations and conflict there or scarcity of resources and conflict as a result of that or you know countries that may descend into civil wars where civilians are involved the potential for innocent victims to be involved could be something that is going to be happening more and more regularly and so by developing and shared widely standardized basic life support training is one of our objectives thank you so much i appreciate you taking the time how does it feel currently in kiev in lviv you know, there's there's signs everywhere that victory is ours. You know, we will conquer. You know that that sort of stuff. There's shirts are being sold everywhere. You know, with the soldier who told the the Russian ship to f off. Those right. shirts and you know posters and Zelensky. There's a strong sense of pride that is in the air, and, and that's everywhere. But when we got to keep, it was still empty. Services were and restaurants were hardly even functioning. And then all of a sudden, just like one day, everything kind of came back. It was just, it was remarkable. It was just like, I walked out of the hotel and I was like, something's not right here. And then I was like, oh, there's cars on the street or whatever. And the way it was explained to me was that because petrol and gasoline and diesel are, are being rationed throughout the country, that when people left, it was just hard to come back. Uh, you know, Ukraine is the largest European country or, you know, largest landmass you know, next to Russia. Mm-hmm. So to a certain degree, it was just hard for people to, to come back. And the other thing that I would say, too, is that I've not really seen children in the country. We've not seen children. And what our translator slash guide, Danielle, has shared with us is that children were just taken to different parts of the country and left with relatives, grandparents, in Lviv or Kiev. have not seen children really at all, and elderly for that matter. That kind of feels a little different. Please be safe. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Bye. Dr. Derry can be reached on Twitter. His handle is at the Dr. Derry and at whiv.org. Now we hear from Dr. Mila Yalovaya, Gestalt therapist in private practice, specializing in helping adolescents. Dr. Yalovaya studied Gestalt therapy at Kiev Gestalt University, where she now teaches. She is the creator of Space of Tolerance, a website and Facebook page for adolescents to gather online and communicate with one another about their experiences during the war. Dr. Yalovaya, could you describe your 24 to February 24th? Yes, of course. I think all Ukrainians never forget this day. I was in my apartment in Kyiv, and I don't know why, but I decided to wake up half an hour before the first missile attack. Um, then I heard it, I opened Facebook, and I saw there a lot of very short posts. Russia attacked Ukraine, and the war has started. Next day, I spent in shock, as all Ukrainians. My anxiety began to rise more and more. 
and I didn't know what to do. My parents called me, then all my friends and relatives from abroad called me, and we didn't understand what is going on and what to do. The only thing we could do, just wait. And, you know, suddenly in the morning, I saw in my window neighbors who had walks with their dogs. You know, these guys who had morning walks with their dog, usually they are not in a hurry. Usually they have small talks. And it was the only sign of stability that morning. Then I saw how quick parking cars disappeared near my home. And then I took my cat, my backpack with documents and photo albums. It turned out that it was the most valuable things for me. And I went to my friend, her name is Alexandra. She's an owner of private kindergarten. And this building is located in opposite side of my street. And in the middle of day, I came there and there was about 70 people, families whose children, actually the owners, my friends, they're heroes for me. They didn't leave Kiev. They decided to stay with their clients. They bought food, water, and invite their clients to kindergarten because there was a very good bomb shelter. And as I said, there was children, even newborns children. There were a lot of dogs, cats, even rabbits. And we spent about three weeks there. We cooked food because... In kindergarten, there is a big kitchen space and we could cook a lot of food. We cooked for us, for local territorial defenders. They were already organized. Um, we cooked food for hospitals because there was logistic difficulties to deliver food. So we cooked and delivered. We looked for medicines because a lot of pharmacies were closed. We made a lot of posts in Facebook, in Instagram. And I must say that we did the same what the majority of Ukrainians did. We already had this experience to volunteer from Maidan times. So fortunately or unfortunately, it helped us a lot to begin to support, to struggle, to protect. So it was war. Before that first day, what was your life like? My life was very happy and interesting. I am a psychotherapist and I have a private psychotherapy practice. Every day I visited office, worked with clients online or offline. I held therapeutic groups for teenagers and adults. I was a member of a team. We organized international educational projects for people from all over the world. I traveled a lot around Ukraine and abroad. I visited my parents who still live in east, northern part of Ukraine. And this area right now is under missile attack every day. I had a lot of plans, actually, and most of them I ruined. But, you know, I understand that Ukrainians are like phoenix birds. We rise from the ashes every time. So as soon as the active fighting move away, we begin to clean, build, repair, and take our roots again. I don't know how we do it, but we do it. It's our genetic memories, or maybe it's experience of our ancestors, 
What is the Ukrainian culture's view on psychiatry? Is it okay for Ukrainians to visit psychotherapists right now? Yes. Is there a stigma in Ukraine about going to see a psychotherapist? Mm-hmm. I must say that during the last 10 years, the culture of visiting a psychotherapist began because in Soviet Union, it was a huge stereotype that to visit psychotherapists or psychologists, you are ill. It's mental disease. And these stereotypes was ruined only during the last 10 years for Ukrainians in most regions. And psychotherapists in big demand now in Ukraine. People began to understand that therapy is about quality of life. It's not about psychic diseases or um, about something bad, strange and terrible. It's the way to improve your quality of life. And I'm happy that now more and more people decide to visit uh, psychologists and psychotherapists. A lot of psychotherapists who work with children and a lot of parents work with psychotherapists. And at this time, in this terrible, horrible time, our profession is very important, I must say. 16 years ago, I came to this profession as a client. And at that time, even my parents asked me, are you ill? You have some mental disease. But now, of course, they uh, don't think so. So I came as a client and choose it as my profession. And nowadays, I must say that it was the best decision in my life to choose this professional direction. And I am very happy that a lot of Ukrainian specialists are already in Ukraine and we can provide high-level psychological service. It's not easy, but we do our best. Are you still seeing the same patients that you were prior to the war breaking out? Are you still in touch with your patients? Yes, of course. During the first two days of war, I checked up with all my clients. We wrote to each other very short messages. Are you okay? Are you safe? And it was very touching because, you know, you, you contact only in a date of meeting, but it was abnormal situation. And as we say now, abnormal reactions under abnormal circumstances is normal. So we did these connections. And in April, I managed to restart my practice when I felt that I am stable to support my clients. What percentage would you say of your clients are children? Uh, Maybe 30%. What strategies are you telling the children in particular or the parents Mm -hmm. to get through this time? I work mostly with teenagers and teenagers are very, not fragile, but very sensitive and a little bit lost. Their bodies are changing, very active hormone systems, emotions are very sharp and it's time for socialization, looking for friends, building connections. And at the same time, it is a time for separation from parents. It's a huge challenge for teenagers. Just imagine that at this difficult period, teenagers lost two years of life by lockdown. And then Ukrainian children faced with war. So they lost their total stability. They lost their new, very fragile connections. 
I must say that most teenagers left Ukraine and they feel very lost because they lost familiar places, they lost the ability to communicate with their friends and are more sensitive to these changes. When we work with them online, in Zoom, um, in small groups, the main thing for them is to be heard. They speak about very simple things, beloved places in their native cities, their friends, beloved uh, t-shirts that they had to leave at their homes. They try to find children the same age. And I suggest to parents to be patient to say, please, if you want to talk, I am ready. I am here for you because they feel very lost. Their stability is connections with the same age and it's the main loss for them to lost their friends. So they try to find new friends. So if parents can find online groups or maybe offline groups for teenagers, please do it. Please provide this opportunity for their teenagers where they can find friends or just people of the same age. Is there a site or a certain group that you recommend? A very fantastic club for teenagers is called Space of Tolerance. They do very important work. They support, they discuss a lot of interesting topics, and they do know how to do it well. The clients that you are talking about, are these people all in the Kiev area or are they in other cities as well? All my teenager clients I brought. Oh, not in really? Ukraine. Yes, most of them are in Europe. This is a difficult question. But do you think it's harder for these teenagers to be in other countries in Europe mm -hmm. where they're refugees than it is for the teenagers who have stayed behind in Ukraine? Um, I'm sure that it is harder for them to be abroad. I can say it from my experience of communication with them. As I said before, they don't have any foundation there. They don't have any experience of making friends, of visiting cinemas, theaters, other entertainments. There is nothing familiar for them. And that is why they are not, not stable, but they are scared, actually. Uh, I must say that for a small child being abroad is much better because what I know from my friends who are mothers of small children, for small children, it's not so necessary to know language. They can explain without words, right? just through game. For small children, it's easier to socialize even when they don't know local language. For small children and for parents who have small children, it's much better situation being abroad with their children. What are the strategies for returning to life post-war? Um, nobody knows what we will be like after the war. 
the only thing that I try to keep in my mind and keep in my heart is my dignity. Because this, especially, it's very difficult for refugees because they have to ask for help. They sometimes do not have enough money, enough moral resources to do anything. And this position, not victim, but person who has to ask for help, sometimes it ruins dignity. That is why I encourage Ukrainians who can afford work, pay taxes, and try to make this temporary parking abroad because it makes a temporary stability and dignity for them because it's an exchange. This country help us and we can take back something. It's very sad when families can't afford to work or even to find moral resources to be alive, to, to, to believe in better. It's very sad. I believe that we all do the best from the available. Every time we do the best we can, the best from the available options. And I think that we shouldn't accept the war as a normal. Of course, we, we shouldn't dissociate from this terrible thing, but we should stay alive and try to be alive in this situation. And always remember that it's not normal. And one more very important thing I noticed recently about Ukrainian refugees. Practically all of them wait for changes. They wait for permission, so-called permission to come back. I don't know who could do it. But for example, they wait that something will happen and after that they will make a decision to come back. But nobody knows when it will happen and this waiting makes huge anxiety and what i think is the best way to begin to do this is for example to choose to stay in that country for two months it will be an island of stability not to wait because we don't know when it will stop even here in ukraine we try to do short time plans and it makes more safety um, when i open my calendar and see uh, several appointments in in the nearest days it makes me happy it makes me more more calm and more safety and uh, we should do very simple things uh, to take our favorite tea or coffee, to walk with our children, to spend some time with nature, walk with our pets. Very, very simple things help our nervous system to stable. And <laughs> this is my uh, suggestion, if you want. Well, Mila, thank you so much for spending this time with us and explaining your work and your strategies for wartime. I wish you the best under the circumstances. Thank you a lot. Thank you a lot. They are interested in what is going on in our country. Thank you from all my heart. Bye, Mila. Bye. Have a nice day. Bye. Dr. Mila Yalovaya, Gestalt Therapist, specializing in helping adolescents. You can visit Space of Tolerance at 
www.tollerspace, T-O-L-E-R-S-P-A-C-E dot org dot U-A. For the all-English version of the site, go to tollerspace.org.ua slash English dot HTML. We are grateful to Dr. Derry and Dr. Yalavaya for sharing their expertise and experiences with us. I am Anne Levine, the creator and host of Ukraine 242, in collaboration with Pacifica Network, WOMR, and Kraina FM. This show is edited and produced by Ursula Rudenberg of Pacifica Network. Recording done by Michael Levine. The interviews were arranged by Roman Davidov. If you want to send a message of encouragement to Ukraine, please call 510-883-3115 and leave your message on the voicemail. Your words will be translated into Ukrainian and broadcast throughout Ukraine on the Kraina FM network. That's 510-883-3115. Please stop by and visit ukraine242.com. I thank you very much for listening.